Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. We're going to take a little break um, from the book of James um, this morning and kind of do a one-off um, sermon this morning. And the reason that we're doing that is some of you know my family and I um, have traveled over the last couple of weeks. We went to Turkey um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, we lived there for a number of years, many, many years ago, and just felt it was important at this time with me coming back to kind of hit fresh um, a sermon on missions and what God is calling us as a church to be and what God is calling us to do. And while it's fresh in my mind and while, well, it's honestly always fresh in my mind, but while it's fresh in my body, I guess, um, not quite over the jet lag just yet, um, wanted to kind of talk through what it means for us as Covenant Church to be a part of missions, what it means for us as individuals to be a part of what God is doing around the world, what He is calling us to do, what He is calling us to be, what is the expectation on us as followers of Jesus. And so this morning I'll be in Matthew chapter 9, just looking at a couple of verses there at the end of Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, just those last couple of verses um, there in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to talk to us um, this morning about joining God in the harvest about seeing people as God sees people, as seeing the nations as God sees the nations, praying for the nations and praying for people as God calls us to do so. And so this morning, I just want us to kind of look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 38. Um, Again, not a huge, huge fan of kind of jumping into a random passage of Scripture. Um, The context of Matthew chapter 9, um, Matthew is listing these really kind of short bursts of things that Jesus is doing. He's praying, he's calling Matthew, he's healing, he's doing all kinds of miraculous things um, in Matthew chapter 9, and leading up to the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, where he gathers his disciples and then sends them out to do the same kinds of things that Jesus was doing. And at the end of Matthew chapter 9, we kind of have this hinge that goes from Jesus doing these things and his disciples watching him to then empowering his disciples to do those very same things. And so that's what I want to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at verses uh, 35 through 38 in Matthew chapter 9. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, in healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What I want to hit on this morning, kind of my main theme for this morning, if you're following along and um, on the message notes there on the top, is that, that the people around us, both near and far, are longing for peace and purpose and meaning. And that God is calling us to step into that hurt, to step into that pain and longing and point people to Jesus. And this is the thing I want to hit on most clearly this morning, is that this is not the exception, it is the expectation. It is not simply for some to step into people's lives and to proclaim the kingdom and to teach about who God is and to step into that. It's not simply for those who have a spiritual gift of evangelism or a spiritual gift of missions or those who are specifically called to go overseas in some way. It is not the exception. It is the expectation. 
Jesus doesn't say in this section here, those of you that um, I might call specifically or the specific crowd or small group of people, he is saying, all of you disciples of mine, pray that God would send out more laborers into the harvest field because the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few because people are walking around like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And so for many of us, I think that I think when we hear messages like this, our temptation is to say, well, that's Pastor Andy. Like, that's, that's what he talks about all the time. It's a little much, to be honest with you. And some of you kind of are feeling that and kind of a sense of, well, this missions thing, and when Jordan comes up and prays, that's nice, that's fun, that's good for Jordan. It's nice that he does things like that. It's nice for the Batlucks that they go. It's nice for the Bergs and the things that they're doing. It's nice for them to be able to do that. We are a church then who supports people like that. We are behind people like that. We're glad we have people like that. Some of us think so that I don't have to be people like that. So they can do that kind of thing, and I can continue on in what I feel like is important to me. But as we'll look through Matthew chapter 9 and these few verses, I just, I want to continue to hit it again and again and again. But this is not the exception to the rule. This is the expectation. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this call has been placed on your life with no exceptions. It will look differently from person to person. And the scope of what you do and the geography of where you do it, the kind of people that you're doing it with, it will look different from person to person. But the overall push is exactly the same. The overall expectation is exactly the same. That as those who have been called from darkness into light, called out of the fields, we are called to then go back into the harvest fields and point to the true shepherd and say, there is one who will keep you and watch over you. And so joining God in the harvest this morning, four things I want to share with us. I'll blow through them real quick, and then we'll jump back through them. Joining God in the harvest begins with intentionality. Joining God in the harvest then produces compassion. Joining God in the harvest is driven by truth, and joining God in the harvest results in action. Let's look at first what joining God in the harvest means. It means beginning with intentionality. We look at verse 35, the beginning of this verse, and it says here, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. What I want to kind of build into us and and practice with this morning first is that this begins with intentionality. This does not happen accidentally. Us as covenant church and individuals who are following Jesus, it does not happen accidentally that you tell people about Jesus. It doesn't happen accidentally that you set your life in such a way that you are seeing the kingdom of God grow. It does not happen accidentally. It only happens intentionally. It only happens as we fight against the world that wants to say it is all about you. Life is about you. Get comfortable. Be easy. Be secure. Be safe. It is all about you. And so it takes intentionality to push through that noise, to push through that to be able to say, I want to to live my life, and I want to see my life leveraged in such a way that people all around me and people far from me will know there is a God who reigns over all the earth and has sent us his son Jesus. 
You see, at the very beginning of this, Jesus came intentionally. It was no accident that Jesus came. It was not by chance. It was not just happened to happen. Jesus was sent with intentionality, was he not? He was sent into this world to save sinners. He was sent into this world to be the true shepherd. He was sent into this world to be the bread of life. He was sent into this world to be the door by which those might enter into the Father's love. He was sent with intentionality. It was no accident. Jesus came intentionally with a purpose and with a plan to accomplish a great task given to him by his Father. What I love about Jesus, too, is that Jesus was sent intentionally and Jesus sends intentionally. He sends us intentionally. In the same way that Jesus was intentional. Again, look at verse 35. Jesus just didn't simply was raised in Bethlehem and to Nazareth and into Jerusalem and just kind of sat at a coffee shop on the corner and thought to himself, I'm here. If they want the words of life, they know where I am. I'm at the Starbucks next to the, the um, next to the, not the castle, my mind is blank, next to the temple, not castle, temple, next to the temple. I'm at the Starbucks next to the, camp, the temple. I'm there every Friday from four to six. Anybody wants to come, that's where I'll be. I might even buy you a cup of coffee. I'll tell you what I need to tell you. This is not Jesus. Jesus was constantly on the move, was he not? constantly going from place to place. And it was not merely by accident. It was not Jesus roaming haplessly, roaming aimlessly. He was intentionally going from the cities to the villages to the synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching in the synagogues, being intentional where he went, to large places, to small places, to people who were physically healthy, to people who were physically sick, for people who thought they had things together spiritually, to those who were confident they did not have things together spiritually. Jesus was intentional in everything that he did. And God calls us to be intentional as well as as covenant church. The nations will not be reached. People will not come to faith in Jesus if we as covenant church are not intentional in ensuring that happens. And praying for that and equipping us and providing opportunities or pushing us out. We will not be effective in that at all. If we just kind of sit back and wait for people to show up in the gym on Sunday morning and say, well, Pastor Joe and Pastor Andy, they talk about gospel-y things, and if someone comes, that's, that's enough. It's not. By no means is it enough. You know how we reach the nations? You know how people come to faith? I know this is weird in a church service, but just look around for a second. Just seriously, literally look around. This you. You going to your homes and sharing the gospel. You going to your workplaces and sharing the gospel. You standing on the street corners and sharing the gospel. You walking across the street to your neighbor's house and say, I'm praying for you. What can I step in to serve you with? You going to places like Turkey and China and India and other places and saying, I'm going. This is how the gospel moves forward. This is how the nation's here, by being intentional. You see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus, at the end of his time, as he was leaving to go back to his father, he says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As Jesus was leaving, he was intentional with his disciples. He didn't say, peace out, figure it out, I'll be back in a couple thousand years, give or take a couple thousand years, I'll be back to come and get you. He said very clearly to them, they wanted a plan. They wanted a specific plan to say, when are we going to overthrow the government? Could you give me 
a time frame on when Rome was going to fall and we're going to be able to do all of this. When are you going to come back? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Go talk about me. Do it near, do it far, do it everywhere in between. To be intentional in that. And we see not only are we intentional in how we're, or where we're doing those things, we see in verse 36 that Jesus was intentional to see the crowds. This is hard because most of Jesus' ministry, most of his public ministry, he was surrounded by people. Now, the more he talked about eating flesh and drinking blood, the crowds got smaller and smaller as he got closer to the cross. But for the most time, he was surrounded by people. He had to intentionally escape from people at times to get off by himself. But he was generally cut, uh, surrounded by people. And sometimes, I just want to be really clear about this, that Jesus, this word saw, is not simply an awareness of people. This is a recognition of individuals. This is a feeling, a connection to the crowd, to see, to experience, to acknowledge their existence, right? All of us, when we just looked around, we saw a crowd, right? But most of us didn't really see individuals. We just scanned everybody, and it was just a conglomerate of faces and whatever, right? When we're in the middle of the crowd, it's hard to see, but Jesus was intentional about seeing the crowds, and sometimes it's hard to see the crowds while you're in the crowd. Sometimes it's hard to see people as people, as souls made in the images of God, as individuals with their own stories and issues and questions and dreams and desires. It is hard to see that, but Jesus sees that. Jesus is intentional in seeing the crowds. I think for many of us, myself included, I just go about my day and I see people, and I see crowds, but I don't actually see. I don't actually take the moment to step into and to see and to acknowledge and to, and to, to walk with people. It's really hard to see that. This past couple of weeks, my family was in Istanbul, Turkey. Huge city, 20 million people. Gigantic city. And it's really easy in the middle of a city like that when you're constantly surrounded by people, to not see people. And it sounds really odd to say that. But it's really easy just to kind of walk through the day, push by literally thousands of people within a day, and not see one person. To just let them pass by. We were constantly surrounded by people. There was a time that Brennan and I were sitting in a cafe that kind of up overlooked one of the most busiest streets in the city, just a walking street, and literally seeing thousands upon thousands of people walking in front of us. And in that moment, just overwhelmed, one, with the vastness of people. Like we come from Toledo, Ohio. I come from a very tiny town, Convoy, Ohio, maybe a thousand people. My mind can't comprehend the billions of people who are walking on this planet. I can't comprehend it. I have moments in my life, and Samba was one of those where I got to kind of wash over this, like, man, there are so many people in this world. So many people. And I want us to live with intentionality where we're not just seeing the crowds, but we're seeing people as individuals. One of the things that was really hard when we were in Istanbul is we were constantly bombarded with those who were wanting something, those who were needy. Children who are asking for help, asking for food. Moms on behalf of their children asking for milk and asking for water. And it's really tempting in those moments to 
just push by. And there were times where I told my family, we just need to push by. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's hard in those moments where we, we, we have to, but God has called us in those moments, in all of our days, when we see people as God made them with the needs that they have, with the, with the desires that they have to step into their lives. It begins with intentionality about seeing and placing ourselves in, in real places where we can have contact with people who don't know Jesus, about seeing them specifically. And it's not just about specific place and time. It's also about the things that we do and the way that we act. What did Jesus do? He didn't just walk around the cities and villages high-fiving people. He didn't just walk around the cities and villages asking for autographs. Anybody want my autograph? I'm the Messiah, Son of God. This will be worth something someday in about a few years when I raise from the dead. It's going to go way up if you want this kind of thing. What did Jesus do specifically? He taught in the synagogues. He proclaimed the goodness, the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed. And so as we are walking around, as we are living our lives, God is calling us to be intentional about our lives. That we are teaching about the worth of God. We are teaching the truths of God. We are teaching who God is and what he has accomplished for us. What Jesus was doing was opening up the Old Testament texts and teaching that all of these are about me and pointing to himself. What do we do? We open up the scriptures and say all of this is about Jesus. It is pointing to him. We go out and we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news of the kingdom. That though you feel defeated and apart and helpless and harassed, the God, that king reigns. He has been victorious. We go and we proclaim this good news to those who are starving and hurting and lost and helpless and harassed. We are specific and intentional about the things that we preach and we teach. And it's not merely about being friends with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Though it starts there and though it's important to start there, it is not merely about that. It is about stepping into their lives and teaching God's Word, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, helping them to whatever physical, mental needs that they have to step in and to heal and to help in those issues. It begins with intentionality. How do we do that specifically here at Covenant Church? One is we listen to Jordan. So when Jordan comes every month and he says, pray for Libya and pray for Syria and pray for Iraq, we say, yes, Jordan, and we pray. That's with intentionality. That's the reason we're bringing that in front of you so that we can say there is a lost and dying world out there and we want to be intentional about praying for those who desperately need Jesus, who need to be taught the Word of God, who need to be healed physically, that God alone can step into those situations. It starts by listening to Jordan. Another way that we can do that is praying for our neighbors. We already saw Jordan. I'm going to start calling out individuals. You don't know it's coming, but it's coming. I'm going to call out individuals. This is John Reisner. John, stand up for me real quick. This is John Reiser. John Reiser is starting, um, again, this idea of bless every home. We're praying specifically for our neighbors. Really simple, easy tool that brings your neighbors to the front, forefront of your eyes, to be praying by name for your neighbors. If you're interested in any way, see John today. He will get you hooked up, and he will be relentless in hooking you up. So if that's an intentional way to be praying for your, not your neighbors, see John. I'm going to point out Adam and Angie Rice. I'm thankful for Adam and Angie Rice. About nine months ago, I asked them to do something very scary. I said, would you make a friend with someone from another country? And they said yes. And they have been spending time with these two young women um, from India and from Nepal over the last nine months and have had opportunity after opportunity to share Jesus, to share hope, to demonstrate love, to demonstrate kindness to them really intentional, simple way to step into these lives. 
We can go to the nations. I had a conversation with the guy while we were in Turkey about how we as covenant can be sending people on a regular basis. It's going to happen. We will be sending people in the near future. So go. If you're interested in any way in that, come and see me. It begins with intentionality. It produces compassion. Look at verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What I love about Jesus here that is so radically different from me that I am deeply convicted about is that I can often see the crowds and I can often walk away in one of two ways, either apathetic or overwhelmed. Either apathetic, I don't care, big deal, whatever it is, I got stuff to do today, or it's too big to do anything about, which at the end of the day is still apathy at the end of the day. But Jesus felt compassion on them. And this is actually a word that the New Testament writers kind of had to made up because there wasn't a word that gave the fullest sense of what Jesus was feeling in this moment, that he felt it in his guts. There was a sense, there was a palpable feeling in Jesus of compassion and pity and love for those who are helpless and harassed. And it produces this. If we're intentionalists and if we place ourselves in the lives of those who don't know Jesus, both near and far, it will produce in us, if we are sensitive to the Spirit, a heartbrokenness. That we will see up close the lostness, the sorrow, the pain, the questions, all of those things. And if the Spirit is working in our lives, we will begin to feel in our guts, like Jesus, something's got to be done about this. Somebody has to step in and help. Somebody has to proclaim this in this sense. And what I see about Jesus here, he's not simply feeling sorrow on a temporal level, though it is there. It's far deeper than that. Jesus did feel sorrow and compassion because they were sick, because they were demon-possessed, because they were dying, because they were hungry. He felt compassion for those. Yes, he absolutely did. But he understood the depth of what was behind all of that. Jesus felt on a deeply profound spiritual level that what was ultimately going on is that these were sheep without a shepherd who longed for help, who needed help. And the most Christ-like compassion that we can have is the compassion of souls. The compassion to those without hope, without security, without peace in the world. That is where we most identify with Jesus is where we go below the surface of someone needs bread or someone needs help on the surface and says what's driving all of this is a lostness. And what Jesus is seeing here in this one example is a sampling of all of humanity. And so I think in part what Jesus is feeling is not just compassion for those he was seeing in these crowds, but a compassion, a depth of compassion for all of humanity who was lost without a shepherd who were suffering in the same ways, who were struggling in the same ways. He felt this depth of compassion. Matthew Henry says this about this passage, is that what Jesus was seeing is that people um, in the crowds that were walking around were being fed with husks and ashes. And what they needed was a bite of the bread of life. That they were being fed with things that would not sustain them, would not give them power, would not give them strength. And what they needed was the bread of life. To feel that compassion. That's my question for us and my challenge for us this morning. Is as we watch the news, as we watch our neighbors, as we get to know internationals, as we get to know those people in our households, are we feeling a depth of compassion? 
Are we feeling like Jesus feels? Or have our hearts grown hard? Have we just grown weary of how difficult it is and we just can't do anything about it? My prayer for us is that God would soften our hearts once again to see the brokenness, to see those who are harassed and helpless and feel a depth of that sorrow. Again, we were in Turkey over the last couple of months and um, Turkey is a predominantly Muslim country, 98 plus percent Muslim country. And everywhere we went in the city, we were in the shadow of a mosque. I'm not exaggerating. That is the reality. Wherever we went, there was a shadow of a mosque. You think there are a lot of churches in northwest Ohio. There are more mosques um, by far um, in these cities. And one of the times that we were there, we were um, sitting at a very high place in the city that we can kind of overlook one gigantic piece of the city. And as we were there, there's a mosque very close to us, gigantic mosque, and the call to prayer begins to go off. And because the call to prayer goes by where the sun goes, each mosque gets hit by the sun a little bit different than the next. And so what we hear, across the hillside, are calls to pray to a false god. One after another, after another, after another, sweeping across this gigantic city. There's a part of me that's, I've been around those kinds of things that just, it's just noise. There's a part of me that just wants to ignore and say it's just a thing in the background. But there's a part of me that in that moment, I had to fight to say, no, feel this. Let this wash over you. In a city of 20 million people, hearing a call to prayer that will not be answered. We're not trusting in Jesus. We're longing to be in relationship with the God and trying to earn their way into that relationship with God. And I want us to feel that. I want us as people, I know we're not hearing the calls to prayer in our neighborhoods, but we're hearing the calls to worship everywhere we go, do we not? We're hearing calls to worship false gods everywhere we go, on our TVs, on our Twitter feeds, on our Facebooks, on on the billboards, on, on whatever it is. We're hearing it all the day long. And I think for many of us, we've just grown hard. And my prayer and my longing for all of us is to say, can we feel that again? Because what is missing here, what Jesus is feeling here, what Jesus is overwhelmed with in this moment is that they are lost. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And what Jesus wants for them is not just so that he would be right. It's not just a sense that he would be able to enact some sort of justice, and I told you so. What is, what is bubbling up in Jesus is this longing compassion to know that he and he alone can satisfy everything that they long for. What he knows is what is missing is what is true from Psalm 23. The shepherd that is described in Psalm 23, the peace The joy, the victory that is proclaimed in Psalm 23 is missing in the lives of all those who comes around him. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus is recognizing he is surrounded by crowds of people who do not know the shepherd like that who do not recognize that Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one who is the fulfillment of Psalm 23 for all who would turn to him and say, be my shepherd. The compassion that we feel produces this kind of compassion. It begins with intentionality. It produces compassion, and it's driven by truth. It's driven by truth. We see in verse 37. Jesus then turns, after he's feeling this in the depths of who he is, he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And it says again in verse 38, to the Lord of the harvest. What we're seeing the truth of this is, and I love that Jesus does this here, that Jesus encourages his disciples. He is overwhelmed by the brokenness. He is feeling a deep sense of compassion for those who are helpless and those who are hurting. And he looks to his disciples and he's saying, look, boys, the harvest is plentiful. There are people who will come to follow me. I have my children out there waiting to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of the kingdom. There are slaves waiting to be freed. The harvest is plentiful. There is an encouragement in that. At times when I look at the vastness of the world and the lostness of the world, it is overwhelming. It wants me at times to just give up and quit, say it is too big of a task. But I am reminded of the words of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. People will come to know me. People will turn to follow me. What they need is to hear the good news proclaimed to them. The harvest is plentiful. We see in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, Lord comes to Paul in a vision. At the end of this verse, he says, I'm wanting you to go back and not to be afraid of going back because I have many in this city who are my people. The promise that Jesus gives to Paul is to step forward into the vastness of the lostness because you will have success. You will be successful. People will come to know me. People will turn and follow me. Not all of them, but some will. The harvest is plentiful. We read, we just went through Revelation not too many weeks ago. In Revelation chapter 7, the promise at the end of all time is, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The promise is secure. People will come to faith. They will turn to Jesus. What they need is laborers. It is overwhelming. Again, talking specifically because that's my experience. We go to Turkey. 85 million people in Turkey. Those who are following Jesus, estimates are 0.04% of Turkey are following Jesus. 0.04%. Less than half a percent. And what we see in this is an overwhelming task. It feels too big. It feels like it's, t- it's the hard, the work is too hard. It takes too long. There's so much that goes into it with so little visible fruit. But what I see in Matthew chapter 9 and Revelation 7 is that the harvest is plentiful 
and Turks will come to know Jesus. Turks will be around the throne worshiping Jesus. And so will Libyans, and so will Chinese, and so will North Africans, and so will Syrians, and so will Iraqis, and so will Mexicans, and so will Canadians. They will be around the throne. So we go with confidence proclaiming the name of Jesus. We go with joy proclaiming the name of Jesus. So we're driven by that truth, but we're also driven by the the truth that though the harvest is plentiful, what does Jesus say? The workers are few. The workers are few. But the truth of the matter is, more people are ignoring the call to be laborers in the king's harvest than who are going and obeying that call. The laborers are few. Here's the reality in this that I want to challenge us with, that we're driven by this truth, is that we have this great promise, we have this great truth in front of us, but the laborers are few. And my call to you this morning is to answer the call, is to say, God, what are you specifically asking me to do? Maybe it is I'm going to pray for Libya today. I've never once prayed for anything Jordan has ever asked. And I know some of you are out there, and I'm not throwing shame at you. I'm saying there is grace. Start today. Pray for Libya today. There are some that need to say, I need to go and call. I've known this neighbor. I want to pray for them. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this increasing burden for my neighborhood. I need to go to John at the end of the service and say, get me hooked up. How do I pray specifically for my neighbors? I need to go after the service and ask Adam and Angie, how did you do it? It seems really out of character, really hard, really difficult. How did you do it? How can I do it? Please help me. What do I need to do? It may be to say, God, I am I'm feeling this burden that you are asking my entire family to sell our things, to go to a different geography, and to proclaim Jesus in that different place. I don't know what the Lord is doing, but he is doing something. Because again, it is not the exception, it is the expectation. Finally this morning, it results in action. It results in action. Jesus says all of these things. He feels these things. He sees these things. He's intentional in these things. He, he speaks this truth, and then he turns to his disciples and says, here's your action point now. Here's what I want you to do about this. We see in verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' response is prayer. His response is to go to his disciples and to say, pray. Because ultimately, it is not up to the disciples. It is not on them. Jesus is not expecting them to come up with some strategy or some idea. He is saying, pray to those who owns the harvest. Pray to him and go out into the harvest and do whatever he asks you to do. Go wherever he asks you to go in the harvest. To pray and to go into the harvest. The word here that Jesus says in verse 38 says, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is not a soft nudge that Jesus is saying here. This word send out is a similar word that Jesus used when he looks at the demons and sends them out. This is not a soft nudge. This is a push. This is a drive. This is a moving forward to send out, to push out, to drive out laborers into the harvest field. Again, we were in Istanbul this last couple of weeks. One of the things about Istanbul is that there are a lot of people everywhere all the time. And all of those people ride the same buses and the same subways. And when you need to get on those things, it is next to impossible at times 
to get on the subway, to get on the train that you need to get on at a particular time. And so there were times that I had to send out my family into the subway car, (laughs) or I had to stand behind them and physically drive them into the subway car to make sure that we all get on this thing. Because if we miss this, if one of us misses this, that's a big deal. If three of us are off and two of us are here and we don't know where each other are. So there was a times where I had to physically get behind them and push them onto the subway to make sure we were getting onto this space. And I think in a very clear way, this is Jesus to his disciples and this is Jesus to us. The task is great. It is clear. There is a harvest waiting for us. And what we need at times is for Jesus to drive us out of our comfort, of our fear, and to step into what he has prepared for us. There are times that my children, I could see the fear in their eyes when the doors opened and there were people, hundreds getting off and hundreds trying to get on simultaneously. And I could see the fear in their eyes and I had to say, we're getting over that fear and I am pushing you onto this to make sure we're all on this at the same time. And I think for times of Jesus and us as well as I see your fear, I see your concern, I see your your apathy, whatever it is, and I'm driving you out because of the value that is out there, because of the joy that is there, because of the confidence that we have. Isaiah 52.7. Isaiah is telling this, they're in exile, Jerusalem has fallen, they're waiting in the middle of this. And Isaiah, in the midst of this difficulty, gives this verse in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reign. Basically what we're saying is there were those in the city of Jerusalem who were waiting in exile, for the city had fallen, everything had fallen, they were waiting for news. And how beautiful, how wonderful it was when they could see across the valley, when they could see down the path, someone running down the path saying, our God reigns. Victory is secure. We're going home. How beautiful are the feet who those who can go to the broken and the despairing and the helpless and the harassed and say with confidence, our God reigns. Victory is secure. We're going home. Without exaggeration, there are billions of people right now in our world waiting for such good news. Who are looking outside, longing, trying to fill it up with anything they possibly can. Despite the brokenness and the defeat and the helplessness and the hopelessness, God reigns. His kingdom is victorious. The shepherd is drawing his sheep to himself. As we think about this as covenant, as we think about this as a church, as we think about this as who we are again, in closing, I just want to say very clearly, this is not the exception, it is the expectation. This is not just for some, it is for you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the response needs to be, Jesus, where are you sending me? Where am I going to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom? Where am I going to proclaim peace where there is no peace? Where am I going to proclaim joy where there is no joy? Where am I going to proclaim that the shepherd has come to rescue you and to protect you and keep you? We are all called to this. There are lots of ways to step into this. My prayer for you this morning, again in closing, is to say, God, work in their hearts. 
Help these people, help myself to see the need, to step into the need, to feel the need, to proclaim the truth of who God is, that we as a church would not just be a church who sends money or prays for some, but a church who is on mission together, working together to see the kingdom of God grow. We're working together to step into people's lives. We're working together to say the shepherd is drawing near. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for such a scripture, Lord. I thank you, God, for the reality of um, just Jesus, you seeing and feeling like you'd see and feel. I pray, God, that we would be a people, Lord, who, who recognize this, who, who feel the same way, Lord, who are intentional with our lives, who step out of our comfort zones, who step into obedience, that, Jesus, we might see you magnified among the nations. Many would come to see and fear and taste and know that you are God. Jesus, we praise you. We exclaim your name. We ask desperately for your help and that we might go and be laborers in your harvest field. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.